0: You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Boness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Boness. Well, good morning everyone. Kind of Happy New Year. I know that we had a Sunday last week as well that was really early into the New Year, but great to see you all here this morning. Uh, yes, I'm not trying to be Gareth Southgate, um, but I figured if it works for him, why not? Actually, I'm modeling myself more on Derek Meldrum, as you all know. I keep nodding to his fashion sense. He's amazing. You know, you're wonderful. Um, but actually, there's a purpose behind this. <laughs> yeah, I'm watching you as well. There's purpose behind this. is because the buttons no longer close on my shirt properly. <laughs> So, and and Carol, I I haven't got my clicker, so if you could uh, do that, that'd be fantastic. Well, welcome back to Philippians. It's been a little while since we've been in this book, and this year we're just going to stay here for a while, not literally every week, there'll be times where other people preach as well, but I'm just going to continue to take our time through here. Now, I, I think we've been in this for practically half a year already, and we've got to verse nine, I think. So, you know, this might be 2022 is the book of Philippians. But then Simon said last week, uh, Simon Morris, when he was preaching, uh, that he encouraged us this year not to go how much, but how deep can we go in the Word of God. And let me encourage you to go deeply into the Word of God, however it is you choose to do that. But as a church, we're kind of doing that as well, because we're sticking deeply into this book of Philippians. Now... Just to give you a very quick recap, we've had a glance at some of those like mega themes uh, that have come up, such as grace and peace and partnership and joy. Uh, and these are secured within and accessed through the gospel or, or the good news about Jesus Christ. Listen, we are united in partnership as believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ, who has bought our freedom. And paid our ransom, provided forgiveness for sin. And this is a divine act of his grace to you. So it's a gift, it's from outside of yourself, that then goes with you. And it changes us from the inside out. And in doing so brings us peace. And primarily, predominantly, when I'm talking about peace here, I'm talking first and foremost about peace with God because any other peace that we try to secure our hope or whatever on is going to fall apart unless, first of all, we have peace with God. And that is something that he offers us through his grace. This partnership in the gospel of grace and peace, then, is a source of joy. And it is a work that has begun in us and that he will faithfully complete. It's his work. It's all about him. It's not actually about me. You know, there is that song, it's all about you, Jesus. It's not about me as if you should do things my way. But so often I end up singing, it's all about me, (laughs) you know, and forgetting. Actually, no, it is all about you, Jesus. His work, his delight, his radiance, his glory. So let's just take a, a minute just to quickly refresh, if you could pop this up on these first verses that we've been looking at. And he says this. This is Paul. He says, Paul and Timothy. Servants of Jesus Christ, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. This is Paul talking to a people, including all of them. Leaders, uh, church members, everybody in the body of Christ there is included in this. And he says that when I remember you, I give thanks for you in all of my prayers. Uh, He prays with joy. So Paul prays for the people of the Philippian church. And now we come to what that prayer looks like. It's not like a polite formality that he just chucks in at the beginning of the letter, praying for you, hashtag, kind of thing, like dropping by them in Tesco's, oh, yeah, I'll be praying for you, forgotten about it, sorry, kind of thing. It's not a formality, it's not a polite thing. He is actually doing it, actual practical prayer for these people. But just before we look at that prayer, I want us to notice something here. It's really important, it's incredibly important that that prayer is prayed from a place of chains. He is praying from a place of chains, restrictions, limitations, painfulness, uncertainty. He is praying in spite of his circumstances that he finds himself presently in. And you know what? He does not see this as a roadblock. It's incredible, and we'll be seeing this through the rest of the letter, but Paul does not see it as a roadblock. So pause a second. How are we at praying from our chains, from our limitations? Like, do we wait to pray until we feel pretty good? Do do we wait to pray until, you know, all our ducks are lined up and, you know, things are going well and we're happy? When when we feel like we have access to God, when we feel like he might be listening, do we we wait? How are we praying from our chains? When we feel bound up or restricted, when we can't see clearly, when we have uncertainty right in front of us, and that's all we can see is uncertainty, or or when we don't know what to say. I mean, how many of us at times don't pray because we don't know what to say? And it just feels mechanical, doesn't it? If you go, our Father in heaven, hallowed be it. Doesn't that feel sometimes mechanical, particularly if you're not feeling So how do we pray when we're in that place? When our circumstances are overwhelming us, how do I pray from the restrictions? Either that I find myself in, or that I find in myself. I'll say that again: How do I pray from the restrictions that either I find myself in or that I find in myself? Because there's external restrictions. there are internal restrictions in how I find myself. Where is my prayer predominantly focused? Does it center around me? Does it center around my circumstances? Or is it focused elsewhere, somewhere beyond myself, somewhere beyond my present circumstances? And Paul gives us a great example right here. It's not the only example of how to pray. It's not the only example of how to lift our heads to prayer, even when we feel like we can't. But it is a great example nonetheless. So let's have a look at this prayer. Philippians 2, 9 to 11. And I think we're going to probably break this over two weeks, uh, this particular couple of verses. Paul says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best, or I think the ESV terms that as excellent, what is excellent or right, So that you may be pure and blameless, righteousness is a good word for that, for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. Two tiny verses. I haven't done a word count here, but a tiny, tiny amount of words. Packed. Packed. With riches, packed with amazing theological truths right here. Uh, And I think we could dig into this for months and keep getting stuff out of this. They are packed. And actually in the rest of this letter to the Philippians, Paul keeps unpacking some of these opening thoughts and elaborating on these themes, explaining what it means to the believer, that's you, and to the church, that's us. And really this is it. What kind of gospel? What kind of God? And so what? Because it's all very well us saying, yeah, we've got this fantastic religion, we've got this amazing God, but everyone outside of this church is going, so what? These people down the road, they've got a different God, they're happy with that, so what? So what kind of gospel? What kind of God? And why does that matter? And that's really what we're going to be looking at. So as we dive into this today, I just want to take some time to break down these particular verses. And the first thing I want to look at is that Paul says, his prayer for them is that their love may abound more and more. Listen, abound is not a stingy word. Okay, think about the word abound. It's not tight, it's not stingy. It's about overflowing. It's about bulging. <laughs> Why I have to wear a waistcoat. It's, it's about being fit to burst like a river teeming with life. That is to abound with fish a field abounding with cattle. You know, it's that kind of thing that we're talking about when we have the word abound. My cup runs over. God is a generous God. He's not tight-fisted. He's not stingy. He's not giving and taking away based on your performance. He is a generous God. If you think that God gives to us based on our performance, we should have nothing. We should not have salvation. Because our performance that actually led up to the point where Jesus hung on the cross for our sin, our performance was terrible. Sorry. <laughs> abound is a generous word. And Paul says that your love may abound, may be generous. Be generous. Be extravagant with our love, overflow, bursting with life. And he says, more and more. So we're adding onto what's already been added and going and going and going. The cup that keeps running over, he just keeps pouring in and pouring in and pouring in. More and more assumes that this has already begun that there's already something in the cup of God's generosity that he's been pouring out in our lives, that there's already something in our cup for us to pour out, but more and more, it assumes that it's already begun, like some kind of flow, like, like a stream that is already in motion to be encouraged, to be let loose, to overflow. You, as a believer, carry something in you that is supposed to be overflowing and teeming with life. From a source to a well or a reservoir that then overflows, it finds a directional kind of outlet. So questions here, what is the source? What is the substance? What is the reservoir? And what is the direction of flow, the onward direction? What is the source? What's the substance? What is the reservoir? And what is the directional flow? Look, this love must generously abound more and more, but it's not found naturally within ourselves. And so we need knowledge and depth of insight and discernment. This is part of his prayer. He doesn't just pray that love may abound, that it might abound with knowledge and depth of insight and discernment. This is important, Love is not abstract, it's not thoughtless, it's not feeling only, even though there are emotions and feelings connected to it, that's not the root of what love is here, Uh, and it's only really when we add knowledge and discernment and insight to this that we really can understand what this love is all about, so that we may approve excellence. Rightness, truth. Here's the thing: love, even in Paul's theology elsewhere, is vitally important. The kind of love that he's talking about, it trumps everything else, actually, because if you look at one Corinthians thirteen, the first three verses, he he says, like, if I speak in like tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm just a big noise. Or or if I have a gift of prophecy, if I can fathom all these mysteries, if I have this great knowledge or, or faith that could move mountains, but I don't have love applied within that, it's absolutely futile and pointless. And even if I'm generous, you know, even if I was a rich guy who just threw money everywhere, like, there you go, guys, bless you, but I didn't connect love to that, it has no value to it. You know, hashtag love is love is not discerning. It, it, it's not always appropriate. It's not always good. It's not always right. You know, what I love or think I love isn't always right. Right because I love things sometimes that I really shouldn't. And and as a young lad, before I became a Christian, before I met Jess, honestly thought I was in love with pretty much every pretty girl that I met for probably about two or three months. And then I thought, actually, I don't love you. Actually, I I love you. And, And so, no, I'm gonna go over here now. I know I'm not that good looking, so I don't know how that really worked out for me. But, you know, that wasn't good. It's, it's not good for, to say to me, just go after what you love, because it would be carnage. Because what I love is to be king of my own life, to make my own decisions, to make my own rules, to have things my way. I want justice served on other people, but I wouldn't want justice for myself. So how can we know How can we discern this kind of love that God is talking about? We have to add knowledge. What kind of love? Source and substance. What are we talking about here? What's the source? God is the source. He has lavished his love on us. The apostle John tells us he's lavished his love upon us. So he's the source. And what is the substance of this love. What kind of love are we talking about? We're talking about the kind of love that would cause Father God to love the world so much that he would give his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, and that's the active part, but whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And as Simon Morris said last week, God doesn't love us because we're so amazing. You're just so cute, guys. I love you so much. You're so brilliant. I I just can't have heaven without you. He loves us in spite of our failure, of our ruins, of our wrecks. You know, I think all of us sometimes are a bit like a a cruise liner. It's plowing forward and there's a wake behind us of destruction. I, I can't imagine there would be any human being I know apart from Jesus who could honestly say, I've gone through my life and I've not hurt a single person. I've not impacted somebody else's life negatively in any way, shape or form. We all have those rippling wakes behind us. And yet, in spite of all of that, God loves us and wants to redeem that and wants to bring that all back together and, and heal it what kind of love does this look like well if you go on in 1 Corinthians 13 it looks like this, it's patient well already that's not like the love that I have because I don't have much patience uh, it's kind can I honestly say I'm always kind to Jess, I mean Jess is the person in the world who I love the most apart from Jesus sorry <laughs> It's not you, it's Jess. But I'm unkind to Jess sometimes. I'm being honest. Sometimes we react to each other in a way that's just not kind. And I have to repent of that. I have to go back to her and apologise. Love doesn't envy, it doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonour others. Wow. How many people have I dishonoured with my thoughts, with my actions, with my words? It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil but rejoices with truth. It always protects. It always, uh, it always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. It never fails. That's the substance. So God is the source of love and that's what his love looks like. So for you, he is patient and he is kind, and he doesn't envy, and he doesn't boast, and he's not proud, and he doesn't dishonor, and he's not self-seeking in that, and he's not easily angered, and he keeps no record of wrongs. I mean, as far as the East is from the West, that's how far he has removed our sins from us. I mean, how can any love be that good? Only by being God's love, because God is good And as John goes on to say, God is love. Don't flip that sentence around. Love is not God. The root and the goal of our lives is not to find ourselves really loved by other people around us. God is love. Our value, our worth, it's it's not innate. It is given by God. He determines how valuable we are, church. And he places the highest value on you. His son on a cross. That's the value of God's love for you. That he would make a way. John says, we know and we rely on, on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. That's 1 John 4:16. Now, listen. There's a big issue between feeling and knowing. All right? This is really important. Particularly if you've ever struggled with something like depression where it robs you of some of those inner emotions. That, that kind of understanding, it, like it means that you find it hard to receive love or see it or experience it or understand it. Listen, there's a huge difference, a gulf of difference between feeling it and knowing it. And that's why John says we are to know the love of God, not to feel the love of God. I think you can probably go through your entire life not feeling the love of God. But as believers something's been ignited inside us in faith that is the very basis of us being believers is that faith has been applied yes it's a gift of God but faith is that I don't see God. I very rarely hear something that I think is close to audible when I'm discerning what God wants in my life. But I have his word, and it's printed, and it says all over it that he loves, he loves, he loves. That love is abounding, and it is always more and more. Don't get caught in the trap that because you can't emotionally connect with God... Therefore, he doesn't love you, or he doesn't exist. It's hogwash. Because his word, that is our primary authoritative substance. This. Before you hear a person speak a word of prophecy, before you hear a preacher expand what's in this, before you even kind of feel anything in your life this is our first our primary and our most important source of authority when it comes to knowing God and knowing therefore what God says about you not what you feel like not what COVID's doing not what the government's declaring not how I feel not whether I feel you guys like me or not my value doesn't come from whether I feel like you think I'm a nice pastor or not it comes from God who says, even if you're a complete screw-up failure, I love you, and I place the highest value on you, and I'm going to redeem you. (laughs) So what is the reservoir? The reservoir is the regenerated human heart. If you don't know Jesus, your heart doesn't have the capacity to contain the love, much less pour it out. It is there for you. But as Ezekiel says, that we have a heart of stone that God needs to take out and replace with a heart of flesh. He brings us from being spiritually dead. What happens to a heart that is dead? It doesn't beat. To a heart that is living, spiritually alive. So our heart regenerated by God him through believing upon Jesus means that we have this vessel that can contain his love and overflow with his love. Paul says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit through the redemption work of Jesus Christ. Our capacity to know that God loves us isn't based on us, it's based entirely in him, entirely in him. And then the direction of the flow, there simply must be a directional overflow. Listen, you can't know the love God has for you and not do something with that. It's going to go somewhere from there. You know there's a sea in Israel that only has inlets and no outlets. You know what it's called? It's called the Dead Sea. The believer who does not overflow with love spiritually speaking, it is like that sea. All in flow, no outflow. And you know that, that sea, I'm just going to hang here for a couple of minutes, uh, and I, I do intend for us to be finished by half past the gate. I know some of you might be looking, Whoa, where's he going with this? Just one more hour, okay? <laughs> the, the thing about the Dead Sea is it's a tourist attraction. But, but you don't want to go drink it. You want to float in it for a little while, but if you do that for too long, you end up looking like a prune. And it's, it's draining as well. It's, it's like evaporating. At some point, if, if God allows this world to continue as long, at some point there will be no Dead Sea. There will just be some crusty salt beds. I don't want to be a crusty salt bed as a Christian. I, I, I want to be a, a river that is teeming with life. and it's avoidable. True Christ following, true discipleship, is directional. It, it, it's flow in, pour out, and it, it's centrally God-focused. It's not me-focused. And, and if I'm me-focused, I will always have a bit of a Dead Sea problem going on in my life, because I'm always looking in here. But actually, look, when love abounds, it overflows, or it should firstly back to God, you're going to thank the, the one who's giving. As, as the recipient, your, your heart will overflow back to him. And even if you don't feel it, take his word. But if you're a Christian, if you tell me you're a Christian, pop your hand on that and say, I'm going to believe. I might not feel it. I might have nothing in my field of view that tells me that that's true, but I'm going to hang my life upon that because he hung his life on a tree for me. Don't believe what you see. Believe what the eyes of faith give you. But also it must overflow to others. It must, it must, it must. And the hardest people to love have to be in our field of vision when it comes to loving. And it means we need to love ourselves as well. Because how can you seek to destroy a thing that God values? And he values you. But sometimes we get distracted, we get blocked inlets, blocked outlets. You know, I'm probably going to be careful with my analogies here, okay? But, but sometimes, you know that whole that saying, you know, J-O-Y, you know, J-O-Y, surely it must be Jesus first, others last, yourself in But no, that's not it. <laughs> it's Jesus first, yourself last, others in between. That's the acronym, is that right, for, for joy? But quite often I put YOJ, like yourself first, others in between, Jesus last kind of thing. Jesus needs to be first in our field of view, particularly when we're in chains. Look, we've, we, I'm going to bring this sort of in now. We focus on what we love and what we value. But, but sometimes we love and value the wrong things. All the right things, but in the wrong order. How do we deal with this? Well, we need to recalibrate but we need God's help to do that. There's no point going home and beating yourself up and saying, oh, I'm just not looking at you, God. I, I, I'm just not giving love back to you or to other people. Don't beat yourself up. Uh, don't go into self-loathing. Uh, the recalibration needs to be led by the Holy Spirit. We need his help. And it's actually, it's actually about facing in the right direction. That's what recalibration spiritually is. It's facing in the right direction. I, I was reading in Numbers this week, uh, Numbers 2, and... Um, It's just this part where it talks about how the the Hebrews are all encamped around the tabernacle. Uh, And something really caught my eye is that they all face inwards. The the tabernacle was kept in the center of the camp, and they all faced the tabernacle. Now, Now, if Margaret was, I don't know, tribe of Benjamin or whatever, you know, you, you're the tribe. Of so we, we've got these tribes, and they're facing into the tabernacle, but imagine if Margaret stood here, and I'm not going to get you to do it just for time and for COVID and what have you, but if Margaret's standing here looking towards the centre where the tabernacle is, uh, and Andrew's standing here, and, and he's looking towards the centre and where the tab- tabernacle is, they're naturally looking to each other as well. If I want my marriage to be successful, I look to God, and then I find I'm naturally looking to Jess in the right way. If I want my my faith to grow with other people, I I, I naturally look to God first. And then when I look to God, I naturally start caring about other people more. I I see other people. When I look to God, it doesn't block us. It doesn't make us this kind of spiritual, like, I don't care what's going on. I've got my own little relationship with God here. What it does when we focus on God rightly is it focuses us in on each other as well, naturally. So I'm going to wrap this right up. How do we pray from our chains. Paul was able to pray as such because his value and his security and therefore his focus was not in himself or his circumstances. He was able to look up and look out. And so his prayer was effective and his joy grew. If the focus of our prayer is restrictions and limitations, guys or if it's primarily self-focused, then our prayers will always be limited and restricted. Uh, And we'll be chasing joy and confidence and security like they're shadows tantalizing us. Look up and look out. So as I close, there is an outward and an inward application today, guys. Really tune your ears in right now. because this prayer that Paul prays is a prayer that we should send from our closet from our room from our knees however, wherever pray for each other that our love may abound more and more with knowledge depth of insight and discernment so that we may know what is true and right and excellent look up and look out as you pray uh, uh, but also we are or should be recipients of this prayer as well so we're not just praying it if you don't know what to pray for somebody else just pray that their love will increase, that's fine pray, pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation you know, look at what Paul prays for people when he's praying and just pray that it can't be bad if Paul's praying it you don't have to have original words to say if you don't know what to pray. You can can dig into what Paul said, what Jesus has said, and mean that for somebody else. It's a good way to pray. But also we're recipients, are we yet loving enough? Even if we're really loving, are we yet loving enough? Have we perfected the art of love as a church? Is there room for growing here? Is there room for abounding more? And more that's not a criticism it's just what Paul's saying let it flow more and more how do we pray from our chains look up and look out and we'll come to the rest of those verses next week Heavenly Father I can't comprehend the love that you have for us I can read about it and God I hang my life on that I believe it I trust it and I trust it even when I don't see it, even when I don't feel it, even though it's, it's not an experience, I know that I trust your word to be true. And that is such a wonderful anchor, God. I am so grateful that I can declare how great and how vast is the love that the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. So we give you glory, Help us to know, to know, to know your love, shed abroad in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Help us to know it, find our worth and our value and our security, not in our circumstances, not in what we think of ourselves, but in what you think of us. We have a new identity. Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand. Holy Spirit, right now, speak that identity into lives right now? God, where it's been distracted, where it's been conflicted, where it's been beaten down, where it's been lied to, would you restore, restore, restore the identity that you have spoken over your church, over your people? Let nothing that the enemy says get in the way of what you speak, because your words are true and they are life to us and we thank you and we praise you and we adore you let our love abound for you God because you are wonderful